0: This is Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Today you're listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. We're on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. Today we are airing an interview from a podcast in the company of Black Women. This is uh, by Michaela Sims and Bessie Jones. Michaela is also a host on Indigo Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to In the Company of Black Women, podcast with Bessie Jones and Michaela Sims. This is our episode two, and we are with Eric Jackson of Black Yield Farm.
1: Hi, Eric. Welcome. And um, I just want to say I'm definitely a little emotional, but um, give thanks. For the breath of life thriving in a black man, thank you for showing up for us today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um in the company of black women. Thank you very much
2: oh, sure well give thanks. I appreciate being with you all and uh look forward to um to having a a conversation and appreciate the uh acknowledgement and um thank you all for what you do and um and what you're gonna continue to do Many blessings
0: yes, I mean, I think that it's It's just such a difficult time with all the violence that's perpetrated against our people in this country and around the world, but basically I'm a social justice uh, educator and I currently live in Vermont, so I work in the school system, in the public school system as a diversity coordinator is my title, but basically I do social justice education with youth and with teachers. Also, I'm a teacher educator, so I do work um with teachers pre-service teachers and we have a social justice teacher education program here in vermont as well my kids are with bessie that's how i know bessie and this year uh because of covid actually we're home with the children um two small children we have a really lovely garden in our yard today which is where bessie and i are sitting so i'm grateful for that and for hearing more about i'm excited to hear more about what you're doing
2: for sure, give thanks. thanks. So peace, y'all. My name is uh Brother Eric. I am in uh Baltimore, Maryland. Um I am here representing several different entities, if you will. Uh one of them being my family. You know, I appreciate you, uh, Michaela talking about your family. Uh my wife and I have uh four children, attempting to raise them in a way that they are able to be um liberationists and whatever they yeah. do, they decide to uh, contribute to black, the, the liberation of black people mm-hmm. and brown people and uh, people at large. Um, and I also represent an organization, an institution called uh, Black Yield Institute here in Baltimore. And our work is about, um, and my work has been leading us to uh, champion the cause and do what we can to establish what we consider black land and food sovereignty. And all of that in a nutshell is, um, you know, really to establish control, more control of what is uh, existing in our community around how we use land and how we're in relationship with land, I should say, and um, uh, the types of food that we have access to, particularly culturally appropriate foods. So um, that's what we're attempting to do when we're doing that through organizing and a couple of different things. Uh, political education is a uh, part of our work. So interesting to hear hear that that's what you're doing. Research action network is a part of it. We also um, steward a farm and uh, establishing a cooperatively owned uh, grocery store. So it's pretty uh, multi-pronged. Yes. Ultimately, you know, our work is about figuring out how we can build Black power and utilizing uh, the vehicle of food and land uh, equity to do that.
1: My name is Bessie and um, Bessie Jones and I run a small outdoor nature um, Waldorf inspired program. And like Michaela said, I met her um, through her children. I was initially at a Waldorf school here in Vermont and that's how I initially met Michaela. Um, and then I left that school and I opened up my own program on Three Little Acres in Burningston and um, I had the pleasure of meeting Eric um, Felicia, who's the multicultural director at Springfield College, and I um, was invited to sit on a panel with um, with Eric um, um, around the film *Strange Fruit* um, that he um, had produced and directed. And um, in learning about your work, I was just just so excited um, because. Um, In my own work, it's um, figuring out how to um, start from the source, and that's our children, um, how to um, instill purposeful work in them, growing our own food, um, being able to um, live in our households and exchange the work that it takes to maintain that. And I do that through a school setting. I'm looking for mentors, the work that um, Eric, that you've been doing from the day that I met you. I've just had you on my heart. Um, you have a beautiful family. Also, I have a, a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. Just in these days and times, um, creating unity, um, creating community, creating support um, around how, how we will support our own communities wherever we are. Like um, Michaela and I are, you know, we're, we're up north here, um, but there are Black people, there are people of color um, here who are, who need support around community and um, how how we're going to move forward in these times and what that means for our family and for our Black men, for Black women, for Black children. So I have been really looking forward to getting you out to this area. I know initially you were in Amherst for a while and I was trying to get you up here for me and Michaela. We were going to try to have you at the high school. We are going to try to have you doing like 10 things, <laughs>
2: <laughs> in, in the
1: matter of an hour in, in and a half time.
2: <laughs> in due time in due time we'll get it done We'll get it yeah done. yeah
1: so <laughs> so I just really give thanks um for your being here and one of the things that really um was relevant for me was the way you spoke of your mother and just how um she was an an unbelievable educator um without the the stereotypical types of degrees and things like that mm-hmm. and um I definitely see myself in that place as um, always being surrounded by brilliant people like you and Michaela and always open um, to learning in in an alternative way. So I, I was really attracted to that story in your life, too. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for helping in the company of uh, Black women um, progress and move forward because we can't do this without our Black men. And much Good love course. to you and your family.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know it's interesting um hearing you talk about it like i I think that um many ways uh, we've been duped to believe that um that our institutions of higher learning and you know primary and secondary education are the only ways to uh to, for us to be educated and for us to lead productive lives. And um I think, you know, to what you alluded to, my um my mother and my grandmother actually were very, you know, huge teachers for me. In fact, it's just very interesting. Um maybe about less than a week ago I was out, you know, uh sharing some bread with the uh the birds in the area and I um the night before I was preparing um I had some bread but I wasn't gonna eat all of it. And I said, you know what? I don't want to waste the bread. I said, oh, you know what? I'll go out and I'll, you know, when I'm getting ready to leave for work, I'll just, you know, break it up and and, uh, and toss it out. In that very moment, I, w- I was uh, reminded by, or reminded that the uh, practice was um, like a staple in my childhood. And my grandmother, I don't know if she knew that she was teaching me these things, but a few revelations came in that moment that like, you know, that relationship between myself and other human beings to other animals in the ecosystems that we are. like We're just a part of the ecosystem. We don't have dominion. We don't have none of that. We just connect it. And so, um, just throwing the bread out, and I was thinking about that and thinking about the practice of sharing and not wasting and being a good steward of, of resources and, and the relationships that we have. I was just like, you know what? I don't know if my grandmother knew she was teaching me these things, but um, there's something about those what we may consider small practices that bring a giant of an impact on you know how we operate and how we move within the uh systems that we're privileged to be in so you know that that's the type of teaching that I grew up with outside of any formal institution you know what i mean
0: i know mm-hmm. i it's i feel like so many of us have those memories and actually eric my grandmother's 102 and she lives with me here and wow wow she lived across the street like a block away from a park and actually all the time, we will walk over to the park and we take the bread in, in a little bag and go feed the
2: birds. That's the amazing, bird. like just, we, I don't know, we're not connected to those things anymore. And those are our teachers, our elders are our teachers, um, really, when it comes down to it, you know?
1: Well, those are the relationships I'm working on mm. instilling in our children, bringing back mm. for our children, mm. being close to nature, acknowledging the sources and the resources that are providing for us daily and being aware of how we're treating them and how we're engaging with them. I feel like that's my work. That's my work with our children is to be reminded of our foundation and what our Mm -hmm. foundation is.
2: Mm -hmm. That's amazing. We need it. We need to be returned to that. I think that a a bunch of our, um, our socializing or socialization processes are like teaching us to be disconnected from that. But I believe that the, the, more connected we are to that what we come from from the divine uh essence of all of us the the closer we are to being actually full and complete it's not the opposite right you know what i mean we think that the more money we have or the more degrees we have uh, the more connected we are but that's the superficial stuff and um if we're connected to the things that actually matter i believe at least that's how we're able to live full and as some traditions would speak to abundant and, and uh, eternal lives.
0: So I don't know if you want, I mean, it might be too much now, but um, if you, I don't know if you want to talk about what's happening now um, in the wake of George Floyd in Baltimore um, mm-hmm. at all, if you want to touch on that. And if you don't want to, that's okay.
2: Give you a sure. I can, I can, I can. Um, so um, in the wake of the murder of uh George uh, Floyd, and, and the recent, you know, issues, um, you know, across the country. Um, in Baltimore, we have folks, um, in fact, I was just watching a Facebook Live from a, a good brother who I'm, you know, in community with that uh, share, you know, folks, and, and not a whole lot of Black folks, but Um, There was some um, there was some mostly white folks there doing a peaceful rally. And then that rally turned to be a little more contentious uh, in uh, close to uh, like downtown Baltimore, close to our uh, city hall where the uh, local legislators are city council. You know, folks are really uh, angry, upset, want to do something, uh, want to uh, create disruption and and, uh, interruption. And I think all of that is good. I have a different approach. Part of my overall approach is learning from the past, Mm. recognizing and the way that I've talked to my team at Black Yield Institute is that I have talked about this moment as an again moment. And the reason I consider it an again moment is because throughout our history, we've had these moments and we're going to have them again, Mm. where we are publicly lynched Mm. because we are living in a time where, uh, in times, I should say, where african peoples where people of color where women and all of those outside of the mainstream standard of beauty and standards of power are being uh, are bearing the brunt of uh, what this country represents mm. and that is uh i mean a lot of different things and that's unfortunately that's what we're dealing with the unfortunate reality is that the lives of people who are represented especially for those who are represented on this phone, women and men, black, you know, we, we bear the brunt. And that's, that's, this is unfortunately an again moment. And so I believe that in order for us to stop these again moments is to create the types of institutions that are going to uh, organize our capacity, our power to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Mm. And so I think that for me while i appreciate people's responses but the question is what do we do to make sure that we are asserting our humanities and in- ensuring that we are building the types of power institutions and power processes where folks have to respect us like uh phil Akuti speaks to uh he speaks to in this song uh water get no enemy he says you know when you speak of black power water gets no enemy right we got to get to the point where people absolutely need us and they see us as as vital and relevant to life mm-hmm. right and so like if if our efforts aren't doing that then i think that our efforts are incomplete hmm. and so that's just my reaction and reflection while i appreciate what folks are doing i think that uh fire that is untamed can be destructive but fire that is tamed has the ability to uh to produce nutrients to uh create the essence of a thing and i think that uh that's that's what this again moment i think lifts up for me and that we have to learn from uh, and young people need to learn from and and those are like i mean all of us need to learn that that's the way that we're going to fight this thing we got to build institutions to fight institutional oppression and uh individual actions is not going to cut it so that's what I, that's where i'm at i know it's a tough time in our country but uh, we just got to get smart and we got to organize rather than just respond.
1: Thank you so much. <laughs> that was just so right. And when you were talking about, you know, the the attributes of fire, you know, I was reminded of warmth. And that's um, the foundation that my um, philosophy is set up on for the children is bringing that warmth into their lives, you know, where, um, yes, where you can remain nourished and you can remain cared for and you can also you know you can grow from that point you know so yeah just a beautiful analogy thank you so much
0: and so if you can just talk about like how you and your community in Baltimore have been impacted by the
2: coronavirus yeah sure um so you know just like everywhere Baltimore is you know there there are different responses and reactions to uh, COVID nineteen coronavirus in this time, I've seen a little bit of everything. I've seen folks walking around with no masks. I've seen groups um, providing masks for uh, communities. A lot of responses uh, around the city here in Baltimore uh, have been, you know, focused on uh, food provision. And in some cases, prepared meals, hot meals, and other cases, distribution of food and other resources and we've done a bit of that too, and I'll speak to that um but I think um all in all, folks are I'm seeing especially as uh think you know we're getting um more and more into the spring and closer to the summer, just a different energy around it. I think early on, people were in shock and trying to figure out what the heck is going on, tired of being home um and so that's created some anxiety especially around the folks that I've been privileged to be connected to but all in all I've attempted to um let folks know that man this is just this is just a moment and I think that it allows us to um to learn to reflect to be still and I think that a bunch of our anxiety uh that comes from the way that I mean United States of America's Kind of social life is to go fast, 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 fast fast, and so this coronavirus has presented an opportunity for us to slow down, and personally, I think that we would dishonor the people who have uh whose lives' lives have been sacrificed during this time to not learn and listen and to go within ourselves. And learn from ourselves and learn from this moment and learn, you know, and, and be close to the ground and learn from the people that we're around. Because, again, this is just a moment and this too shall pass. Right. And because it will pass. Baba Malcolm X said um, tomorrow is given to those who prepare for it today. And so um, I feel like that's that's the thing that I've been wanting folks to just, you know, folks who have been willing to listen that tomorrow it, it's going to come there's going to be a time where covid-19 is not the main stay in our um in our social and political lives um and so we got to you know there's some work to be done and there's living to be done uh, there's joy to ha- that that needs to occur and will happen and so we got to prepare ourselves for those moments and so i think that um for me that's been kind of like what i've seen and what i've put out there and, and maybe my outlook is is pretty you know is altered by the reality that I've had to slow down, but I've been on the front lines, you know, in the trenches, making sure that people have food, making sure that people have sanitizer and bleach and other resources, along with uh, folks at, at Black Yard Institute and other organizations um, here in Baltimore and South Baltimore in particular. Uh, we've, been, we've been figuring out how to stand in the gap, you know, where corporations and government have... Falling short, we've been able to stand firm and, uh, and then connect with folks when time was right for them to get donations and expand our footprint in our community. And in that time, it really has given us, given me an opportunity to deepen relationships, and to really be plugged in and connected. We've been making some shifts. It's been really a good transition. Uh, and while I haven't been able to sit down so much, um, I've been able to do a lot of reflection, a lot of writing and thinking and, sharing and figuring out what we're going to do and how we're going to come out of this differently so that we're actually able to do a better job of moving to liberation. It's almost like this moment. It's like us uh, shedding our exoskeleton, you know, the stuff that's not working for us. We need to grow. And so in order to do that, we got to shed some stuff. It's a hard process. We'll lose some things. we we'll lose some people. But the way that I see it, um, at least in this moment, because we have life and we're able to talk to one another, Um, now is the opportunity for us to, uh, figure out what's next and, um, be tapped in, uh, and rooted enough to know what the, the next steps are so that we can be as responsible and accountable as we, as we have been called to be. So that's my reaction. That's my perspective. But, um, things are, things are interesting. Just yesterday, my family and I took a hike. People were out. People were smiling. People were talking with each other. So things are turning up, at least now as of, uh, the end of May. We've, You know folks it it seemed to be very different than mid-march for sure
1: i really appreciate the part about how are we going to come out of this and Mm -hmm. i'm i'm thinking about that in my my own little program it's just like you know you know what do i represent what do i stand for you know and what is my work and you know what am i offering Mm. to my community and especially to my black community to my community of color and I'm really hoping to like um, open up this from garden to table, having more of um, people of color within my community being a part of helping to execute and um, be on my property. I have a lot of people who are willing and very able to help, but I also would like for those people um, for it to be a place where for people of color, for black people to gather, to have bonfires, to work in a garden yeah. and know that they can always, you know, swing by and Miss Bessie is there and the, the property is open and there's a fire going. Like I left my daughter now, you know, there's been a fire going for the last five days. Like <laughs> she just burned and stuff. <laughs> um, but, <it's> just, <laughs> you know, really thinking about what that looks like when we come out of this, you know, and for me as an educator, and as I do move forward into what, pursuing education means for me I I honestly feel like it's more of the on-hands work because I'm not a type I can't think like that but you know I can bang out some work like I can I you know you show me what to do it's done you know and and I want it to be done right so I just feel really strongly about um using a property, having more children of color there. And right now in my program, like half of my children are of color, you know, and I, I'm keeping it that way. Like, and if not, if yeah, more yeah. come, then will be it, you know, but it's like, um, the attraction to my program can be elitist. And, um, I feel mm-hmm. like we're making it a point to make sure that it's not. And so I'm just really excited about the things that you're saying and being connected and, being a part of having you be a part of, um, you know, my growth in, in and in, in this, you know, the small way that I can offer what I offer. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to um, what COVID, what, I mean, and the stillness too, I totally agree. Like, you know, we're like, my family and I, like, we have just really been taking advantage of being home and all the meals and things that the children that will come to my programs that help me prepare and the gardening and all that stuff, you know, now, you know, my children are home and it's like, you know, it's like an aha moment for me is that I've been investing a lot of training and a lot of energy in our little ones, like zero to seven, um, you know, and here my children are, you know, 14 and 16. Like um, my daughter's really into the gardening and into like, you know, forest walks and she's a total little wood nymph, you know, and like, <laughs> more about the video games he's more about music um he plays the guitar he's more about um you know recording stuff and things like that so they both have their their own little flares but you know the things I want for the children in the community are the things that I I realized that in within COVID that like hey these are the things that teens need too you know these are the things that you know children 7 to 14 or you know 14 to 18 like just really looking at how how that unity can be brought together, you know, on all age levels.
2: Yeah, I I think it's, I think it's amazing. And I really do appreciate you lifting that up. I think that like this, this is a moment. Like it, it really has, it's almost like for me, I think we would not only dishonor the people who have transitioned during this time, but also for the divine. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, it's almost like somebody giving you a diamond and then you're like you know how come how come uh it's not shining the way you know it's almost like we we given a moment to relax you know what i'm saying and like and purge and and process and uh and i feel like you know i've heard less complaints but there've been a lot of complaints you know and i think that this is just a moment to do exactly what you just described bessie like just to like to chill to represent to breathe to Connect and then to restore because after this we got a lot more work to do. You know, what I mean that's just what it comes down to. So,
1: and it, and I feel like it's the the opportunity to grow, to grow our our, our purpose from inside out, and that requires yeah. us to be able to 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 go within. You know, and I yeah. think that that's what Mother Earth is asking of us right now, and that's what she's doing. She's purging out whether we want to be ready or not. You know,
2: right? So right. We
1: have to be able to stillness is a must, you know, and you have to be able to to stop. And I think that's one of the big problems, like you said, with our culture is that we are so fast paced. We are so we, we we expect things to be handed to us, already mm. packaged, already done, mm-hmm. already finished, yeah. you know, and we've lost that that momentum of being involved in the work, the work of yeah. the gifts that we're receiving. You know, I think we've been taking that for granted for so long. And you know these are the luxuries of america you know like um trump he loves to repeat you know how you know americans lifestyle you know is a lifestyle that like no other country can live the way americans are living it you know and i think it's time for americans to pipe it down a bit and think exactly. of a, n- a new way to live you know um like all these stores and things we're seeing we don't need these things you know there's a few necessities that are remaining that had remained in place up until this point of you know looking at reopening and you know when we go back to it it's like i'm really like yeah you i you know i just really don't need all that you know you just really don't need looking at the the moving forward from it
0: i was just thinking about like you do rethink everything and um and it's amazing that how much Energy, more energy you spend on food and on other things mm-hmm. that you just mm-hmm. kind of like what you were saying, like you don't, you just eat kind of in passing and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Whereas now like, you have more time. So it's like take more time to prepare meals and take more time to think about what I'm going to eat and not eat certain things that I don't want to eat that I eat because it's convenient and I'm on the run somewhere else. So really thinking about my health in a different way mm-hmm. and um, also my family's health in a different way.
2: One of the things that Covid nineteen has exposed is is um, and we know this, but it helps me make my case even more. And that is the over reliance on corporations to feed us, mm-hmm. um, and on you know uh, industrial you know farming in particular uh, for food production, and inherently meaning less dependent on smaller intensive farming and or subsistence farming and gardening at our own homes and homesteads. And so. I'm writing this opinion piece right now that uh that I don't know where it's gonna end up landing, but I'm uh finalizing it. And the title I have right now is uh From COVID nineteen to food apartheid twenty twenty one, you know, question mark. And so for me it's like are we gonna allow this moment to allow us to uh stay locked into this over dependence on corporations to feed us? Um and I've I've one gave a critique of including the work that we do. Uh, we've been able to provide over 55,000 pounds of food to people over the last, you know, almost three months or so. Wow. And um, and it's like in and of itself, I'm, I'm not saying that really to say, hey, look how great we are. I'm saying that to say uh, less than 5% of that food have come from local sources and from black sources. And that's even the work that we've done. Like what's available in terms of the foods that, that we're getting through donations and things are food that come from, come through a nonprofit organization or what have you, that's getting it from a wholesaler. And it's like, we're contributing and being complicit in, uh expanding food apartheid and one aspect of food apartheid is not just like the limited access to food but it's also corporate control Mm. of food in our communities and like we're perpetuating that meaning black young institute meaning me and i want to do away with it so it's like in this moment what folks are really pushing is all right we have food we want to get it to people rather than okay how can communities after this moment be prepared you know uh, for emergencies and crises like this and be less dependent on corporations and that's not part of the conversations that I'm having unless I bring it up or a few other people are having those conversations about like all right so if there's vacant land in the city give it to us like why we got to talk about it anymore give us the land uh let us grow on the land um and in other cases support processes like community owned and controlled grocery stores. We, I mean, it's about political will at this point. Um, everybody knows that it's not working. Everybody knows that we weren't prepared for a moment like this. And in order to do that and to not perpetuate the same stuff that we're saying we're attempting to avoid, um, we just need to invest in those things. And when I say we, I mean, those with the resources to support what folks on the ground are already doing. And I want to be clear, Black Young Institute isn't the only organization working, you know, in this area, but we, you know, damn sure are standing firm to say, look, I don't care what you think. I don't care what, how you're thinking about it. We can't move past this moment in the same way we have. So support where we're going. We have our own solutions. We'll need you to tell us what we need. Just give us the resources and back the hell up and let us uh, create you know, the types of structures that we need. Um, and I apologize for the curse, and I, I don't know if is a PG show or not. All
1: right. <laughs> I know. I accidentally do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> she does it accidentally on live radio.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm like, we might end up...
0: got to pay a fine. Um, I just... I appreciate what you're saying, too. I feel like we have normalized corporations, and I feel like Bessie walked up here today and was like, corporations are not people. I feel like we had a conversation Yeah, yeah, today. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they have the rights of people, uh, according to U.S. law, it's it has right. been normalized and to the point where, you know, when things get tough in the in this country, president after president who obviously don't represent us, but the first thing they to do is say, "Go out and buy stuff from corporations." Mm-hmm. Oh, times are hard. Go out and buy stuff. Here's your stimulus check. Go buy stuff. Yeah, yeah. These corporations are are the death of us yeah um and they're they're not for us and they're they're for profit yeah. and absolutely, we would not have any economic crisis right now if it wasn't for corporations needing profit there
1: wouldn't be one yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you know i was feeling really upset and you know you got all this social media stuff and one of the uh there's a young woman down south who has a farm and she had posted you know a riot thing and you know all of these like southern white christian chicks who follow her because she's an awesome farmer she provides a lot of food in that area um you know we're coming on and we're like how they were appalled and how you know looting and um you know this is hurtful and stuff like that and you know i i'm not usually i actually have never like engaged in like arguing online and then i was already so upset from all the stuff that was going on and i just felt myself like lashing out you know and It was like, it's not, it's totally out of my character, but it was just blowing my mind that, you know, you would invest your God and your energy behind a corporation. A corporation does not have a soul. A corporation is not a human you know, but these black men um, laying on the pavement with blood dripping out of them for no reason, you know, these are human souls. And I just don't understand the siding of corporations and like, you know, I don't know the fullness of the story, but of Trump, you know, ordering the national guard, you know, to come in and it's okay to shoot people who are looting. And it's like, can we take it back a, a whole bunch of notches and look at what the core of the problem is? You know what I mean? And it's like, he's willing to shoot people over corporation property of corporations, but he's not willing to make one peep about the murders of, you know, real humans, you know, on the sidewalk, you know, so it's just like, it's just mind blowing. And then we have our, you know, our country people taking the stance, you know, where it's like that, that gaslighting, like where it's like, oh, well, two wrongs don't make a right, you know, yeah, this, these are, this is, this isn't two wrongs making a right, you know, this is a wrong that has continued to perpetuate hurt and pain towards people that has ignited, you know, and corporations aren't humans, they're a tax write-off, so, um, but just this whole slant on, you know, our lives being less than you know, a Target T-shirt or something like that, that's just been mind-blowing um, to me.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, amen. <laughs> that's all I can say on that.
0: I feel like you've you spoken a lot about um, how you, the thing you do, the next question was about the health of your health and your health of your community. I feel like you've you covered it.
2: If <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. you want to add anything else, of course, like the sustenance we eat is what we are, you know, we're mostly water and um, when we're putting garbage in, like that's Nothing good
2: comes of that. I think I think what I'll say, I guess, to add to that, I, I, I completely agree. I think we put garbage in because, you know, in many cases, particularly in urban contexts and specifically urban poor and black and brown contexts, it's just non-garbage options are few and far between. Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately, um, people are relegated to making a, a decision of like, well, what's the less, the least garbage, right? Like what's the least poisonous to me? And in other cases, folks don't even understand that because, mm-hmm. um, because there isn't any knowledge about that. But all in all, I think that again, I mean, the case that I've made and will continue to make is that We have limited access to the foods that our ancestors had access to. We have limited access to, quote unquote, healthy food. And the reason I put that in quotations is because healthy changes depending on what your context is and your experience, your culture and all of those things. But I think that for me, regardless of what the definition is, you can't have a healthy community with healthy people that has healthy food and healthy relationships unless you have power. It ain't about resources, and one of the the great American myths is that poor people are under-resourced. That's not true. People low-income or poor communities are some of the most resourced communities. They are the least empowered communities. There's a a distinction. And our job, I believe, is to build power so that we have the ability to shift uh, how we're defined to shift whether or not we can be a healthy community or not. Because one way that you know capitalism shows up is actually it, it perpetuates the model of imperialism that we've been given. And for yeah. example, whether it's a small business or it's a huge multinational business, they don't have to ask the people to come and open up shop and, and extract wealth from their community. They just do it because mm-hmm. they have the capital and the will to do it. Yeah. And so in many cases, communities are not even able to be healthy. If if, uh, Even in the best case where a community got together and said, you know what, we're going to make sure that that 75% of the food in our community comes from local sources, is healthy, da-da-da-da-da. And then McDonald's decides that they want to open up because it's the best business place for them because of their market analysis. They will do it and it will impede on the, the right of that community to assert itself as being healthy. And so capitalism is an impediment to and let me just say not only capitalism but imperialism uh capitalism is an extension of imperialism and i think that that kind of colonialistic model has is the way in which you know we uh that that we consider business and that's just business that's how it goes and so because that's the case um it's hard to be healthy unless we build power and build the types of uh structures documents um, and use the tools that the, the structure allows us to, um, to allow us to protect ourselves. And that's the biggest public health issue that we have is capitalism. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the biggest issue we have. That is, uh, that's all I'll say about health, you know, being healthy. It's, I mean, that's the issue that we're in. People can blame the victim, victim all we want. But I think that, you know, um, psychology is a huge part of it. And there's a social, political, and economic side to that psychology. So it's even difficult to be healthy in this country. It's particularly uh, harder, if you will, and exponentially harder in areas where people can't make the decisions of who can be there, who can't.
0: I appreciate you. Harley uses the I word imperialism. (laughs) But I do have a question like, could you speak more about the resources that you see in low income? and I shouldn't say, I should say impoverished because it doesn't happen by accident. It's an action that happens to people.
1: And, and also you could speak to, you know, um, what I find, I was actually born in Mississippi and, um, you know, grew up in California and then ended up over here, um, by way of DC, but that, mm-hmm. you know, I know a lot of people in within my community that's outside of Massachusetts, but like in, you know, DC and Brooklyn, um, black people, black women um, in urban areas aren't, we're not into farming, you know, it's seen as like, you know, some old, you know, old Mississippi thing, you know, you got <laughs> on a straw hat and your overalls and, you know, you're out there digging in the dirt and stuff. And, you know, how do we shift that energy around um, providing for ourselves too? And, you know, I'm wondering, I think black yield has, uh, you know, I haven't really researched it, but I know that I've seen of you doing workshops within the community and teaching people about farming and what that looks like and, you know, who's interested in it and how do you keep people or gather people's interest in um, farming their own food as well?
2: Sure, sure. So I'll speak to the first question, you know, about um, and I want to be clear for the listening audience that um, my um, my use of the word poor is intentional. Um, I grew up poor. I ain't grow up impoverished. I ain't grew up uh <laughs> low income. Those those are <laughs> those are cute that's cute language. Uh um <laughs> so I wanna be clear that folks, you know, I don't uh in some ways uh, I'm not attempting to be politically correct. I wanna speak, you know, speak truth to power. But all of that to say, um, I think when I talk about resources, um, as an educator and you know, uh particularly popular political education I teach that power is the ability to act, right? And so every group of people, there are sources of power, right? Every group of people, every person has power. For some people, depending on your tradition or how you understand the world, you would consider it ashe or whatever it might be, um, or nishma or breath of life. Everybody has life. But when we talk about power in this context, you're talking about social and political power, like collective power being able to enact the types of things that you wanna see in the world, right? In order to uh, materialize the American dream that folks have given to us, um, you have to have power, you have to be able to do that. And so uh, from a collective standpoint, and so with that being said, the, um, when I think about resources in our community, I think about those physical resources like, uh, and natural resources like land. Um, I think about the other things like property, uh, that exists in community, whether people own the property or not, um, vacant buildings, things of that nature. I think about the relationships, the social relationships that people have and the networks that exist in poor communities and the relationships with people outside of that community, especially in communities that have deep historical roots. There, That's also still intact in a geographical space. There's typically um, connections beyond the physical community that folks have. As well as relationships with folks who are within other institutions, like you know colleges and universities, government agencies, nonprofit organizations. All of those types of relationships and networks, our faith and our sense of community, our culture—all of those things are sources of power, and and those are resources. But then outside of that, some of the some of the uh, resources and assets that we have connections to, like universities schools and other government agencies provide services, right? Like I don't, I grew up being able to go to the free, you know, the free lunch line uh, when school was out and we got free, free lunch at school. I remember, you know, being able to get turkeys, you know, during the lines that we have now with our food giveaways and food distribution, I was in those lines growing up. And this happens all across the United States of America. In fact, the nonprofit class, if you will, or nonprofit structure across this country and throughout the world does food aid and other resources, right? So, like, our community has the WIC programs and all of these services that exist in our community to mitigate the impacts of poverty rather than eradicating the poverty in and of itself. So, like... Since the anti-poverty programs, I don't want to be like that drag and stop preaching, uh, but like, I mean, since the, you know, anti-poverty movement of, you know, post uh, the New Deal in the 1930s, there have been tons of social welfare programs that are targeted to, um, or that are that at the center of them are for poor people. Um, and so with that being said, there are lots of resources tons of resources in our community, that, that's not changing the conditions. It's because power is the only thing that can change those conditions. So that when I talk about resources in our community, that's exactly what I mean. And so to transition to the second question that uh, that you asked, Bessie, specifically, I think that what we have to do is to get people to realize that, yo, we're not destitute just because somebody else defined you as such. Right? Like, I mean, for example, another analogy that I use is that like nobody ever says that the sparrow or the mockingbird is poor? These are those without the same resources that we have is because they they understand their context when they need to build a nest, they have the resources that they have right when they need when they need to feed themselves, they know how to get there. It's the same thing for those of us who have less resources than uh or I'm sorry less money and less uh ownership of land than other people. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the resources. And so one, recognizing, well, helping us recognize that we have some things to build on is, I think, the first step. Mm -hmm. Two, I think being able to connect to our history and tell a different kind of history of where we come from um, and and reminding ourselves that we come from experts, not slaves. Um, We come from people who were enslaved, but we come from people who grew food and were targeted specifically. Um, I always give this example. Uh, My uh, paternal side of the family comes from South Carolina. Historically, um, during colonial times, Georgia and the Carolinas were the biggest crop there was rice. Those who they got to till the the rice farms um, were people from the rice coast and Angola. They went there. Why? Because they were experts, not because they were ugly and dirty and dehuman. No, but this is this the process that we have to recognize is that we come from people who were experts, who could till the ground, who built this very economy. And so if we know that, then we, we might see that differently. And then I think another part of it, Bessie, that you talked about is the ability to get people to recognize that it's actually not that hard when we do it. So workshops is a part of it having social gatherings and connecting with one another. And then also just like continuing to practice it together to normalize these types of behaviors so that it becomes like, oh yeah, yeah, I just grow food for myself um, and my family and I share with my neighbors and returning to practices that we come from. And so I think I think a bunch of our organizing work here on the ground is about that psychological stuff that we talked about before. It's the undoing of those processes. Mm-hmm. If we've gone through times where folks have, controlled our very essence, like what we do, um, how we do what we do, how we understand the world, then our, then our organizing has to be to undo that um, so that we actually control how we see the world and we control our own historic and contemporary um, uh, narratives. And so I think like that's what the work is about, being consistent, folks saying, oh, ain't nothing here, well, the organizing has to uh, get people to believe that, you know what, there actually is a bu- an abundance here. My perspective was different because I was taught differently. And that has to do with the overall social structure of this country and how we teach what we teach. Um, and if you follow the works of uh, the, the late, great uh, Paulo Freire, uh, one of his the seminal books, um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, he talked about like one of the ways in which we are, you know, that society creates docility um, and and docile people is by educating us to actually see ourselves as as oppressed rather than seeing ourselves as uh, those who have power and can uh, control our lives collectively and otherwise. And so our work is to be able to flip that. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some undoing. But it's the consistency of showing that you, know, you can grow your own food. In fact, you can grow it in your backyard or you can purchase from your own people. White ice is not colder. Watch this. Let me show you. Right. So like it's it's a matter of like, you know, really doing the work and, and recognizing that it's an ongoing process, recognizing there are going to be bumps along the way, not taking it personal and, and knowing that this is intergenerational and knowing that it's about building power and uh, rehumanizing ourselves by going through processes that are uh, counter and alternative to what we have uh, been duped to believe is normal.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you. I know we're taking your time, but um, the question about resources is such an important one, also with the COVID-19, because there was a whole article about how Kerala, this and parts of Tamil Nadu, parts of southern India. Are dealing with it very well. They have very few deaths. They have almost no deaths, I think, and they have very few cases. And they don't have mm-hmm. any money. i are like, "How y'all doing that?" He mm-hmm. was like, "We got." So he's like, "We don't have no money, but we got something." And you know, we got resources. We yeah. got people. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah. "So we got people at the airport taking temperatures. We got people." He's like, "We put some coats on some people. We made them um, contact tracers." He was like, "We got. We are full of resources, even though we don't have money." And so that we are yeah. resources to each other, and I feel like that is what we forget. And that yeah. that there's always something you can learn from someone, and that that there's a wealth of knowledge in front of you when you see another human being, regardless, yep. like they know something that you don't know.
2: Yep, we in individualism as a uh, as a social construct have taught us to only see ourselves as a as a part of uh, an island of one, rather than seeing ourselves as you know uh, these part of these interconnected, interwoven uh, networks, and like. If we, when we see ourselves that way, then we always know that there are always, there always resources. You know, we we've been taught that the smallest unit of society is an individual. It's not true. It's the relationship. When you when you have that perspective on life, you always have resources. You know what I'm saying? And so anyway, I'm going I'm going to be quiet there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, we love it. That's why you're here. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so exciting. Yeah. I just think that this perspective on life is one that doesn't get shined on and what gets shined on is like the ugliness the nastiness of human behavior and not the possibility and uh, my, my friend um, I always misplace this quote but I love it but she says something like we must face the human ugliness but we have to hold up the best of human experiences and the best of human possibilities um, even though we can't forget the other things but like we don't have to dwell on those we have
1: yeah, I agree. It's you know, like, you know, that that Toni Morrison thing, where, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, you know, just like remove us out of it, you know, like take me out of it, like, let that, you know, let the the people who have the neurosis of racism, let them heal themselves and deal with that themselves mm-hmm. and the people who are, you know, consider the victims or, you know, let's use our, our opportunity and our willpower to 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 not be the victim of someone else's mental illness or someone else's, yep. you know, um, systems that are built to to cause us hardships like that. We do have this power, just like you're saying, Eric. We do have this power in that, like, it's available in in all areas, like you're saying. Like these people, like you know, yes, the resources are is the human ability. Right. You know, that's the resource. You know, is the hum- the human ability to produce. And that's what capitalism has been using all along. You know, we can use our own human abilities, and we can produce for the know. people and not the corporation. Exactly.
2: No, I was just going to say, uh, Michaela, you said something that um, that I think is powerful, and it just reminds me. You you were speaking to, you know, the uh, the quote that you were trying to get to, and what it reminded me of is just like all of this is just about perspective, right? And like if. If we recognize that whether they be corporations or independent people, if we recognize that we all have the propensity for uh, so-called good and bad, and that this life is not—we are not the center of our own universes—which individualism would would uh, cause us to believe—then we would know that, like, I mean, there's always possibility and opportunity for. Seeing beauty, foreseeing all these different things, and even things that are perceived as negative and bad, still have the propensity to teach us a lesson, right? And so, um I think that for me, this is the approach that I like that I take. It's not a kind of like "kumbaya, my lord." Like that ain't that ain't my perspective, right? <laughs> like my perspective, my perspective is that you know things are real, things happen. And at the same time, uh, what you both were talking about, we don't have to be victims. In fact, we can be, we can allow every situation, everything, every person, every relationship uh, to teach us to be good stewards of this life that we have. When we recognize that this life doesn't begin or end with this individual life. Mm-hmm. That there was somebody before me, and I come through a line of people, and there are people who are gonna come from me, and I got at least got four people so far that have come from me. Then, then I then I'm a part of this larger thing, and that like things do happen, life does grow, and there's opportunity for all things to be right. So, and like with that being said, like that's that approach allows me to be. Um, clear about what we are seeing and what it comes from, and then to appropriately respond to it. Like the people, uh, the way that I always talk about it, the people who are directly impacted by a thing have to be the ones who create the solution to it and move toward that solution. But you can't do that just through anger. You can't do that without understanding and knowing exactly what we uh, are seeing and what is you know coming through, and so having an objective eye that allows us to get away from our own selves um just for a moment to figure out how how important and significant our actions can be to change the very thing that has us bent out of shape or what have you so for me it's just about perspective, and I think that if we provide if we allow ourselves to be objective enough to learn all that we can from the um from the relationships, resources, and reasoning that we are privileged to uh, be connected to, then, you know, we're gonna be good. You know, like, as, as uh, Kendra said, we're gonna be all right.
0: I love it. I know we've taken so much of your time, but I wanted to ask one question. I don't know if it's gonna be related to your dream, but like what what possibilities are you seeing going forward from this? Like what is possible? I mean, you and Bessie were both talking about the introspective introspection that's happening, but mm-hmm. like what visions are you having of uh, being the possibility of liberation from this opening that we
2: have? Um, I think uh, for me, um, I really, you know, part of what I was just talking about, you know, my hope is to be able to, it was before and after this moment, to be a good steward of the vision that have come through me. I'm clear that this work of Black Young Institute and that work that will come out of this um, the work that 's been happening of uh, larger black liberation has to happen will happen uh, and because i I am sure of that, my goal is to be able to is, is to be as responsive as I can in the moments um, to be planful and to prepare people for not just moments but for the continuation of a larger work. Um, Before COVID-19 and even in this time, I've been telling people, look, I don't want this to be at the um, I don't want to be at the center and at the helm of anything that we do. My work is about building institutions. And a part of that is preparing people, mentoring people, teaching people, being in right relationship with people so that we're able to build movement and movement that happens across generations that uh normalizes these practices that we talked about so that we are liberating ourselves and that is what i hope to do post-covid 19 that's what i think the possibilities are and that's what i'm committing myself to i don't want to do anything else but uh do my part to continue the works that i that i know that i'm uh coming from and the the, uh, ancestors whose shoulders i stand on and the elders hands that i have in moving in this work and in doing so um I just want to do it better. I just want to be a better steward of it. I want to, but I also want to do it freer. I don't want to be stressed doing it. I want to be, you want, I just want to be smooth, you know and I know that it's going to require work, but um, that's my hope. That's my hope. And I believe that at the at the core of this, if we're going to build a re- movement toward black land and food sovereignty, I have to do exactly what I've been teaching. And that is recognize and build relationships because relationships are the the building blocks of any movement.
1: Thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Eric. Thank you so much for, um, for for making this happen and um for being here with us. This is our our second our second recording in the company of Black women. We make good company.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you, you you do you do for sure. I'll second that. <laughs>
1: Um, and yes, and just the way you articulate things your your information mm-hmm. um your oh. your entire story as to where you come from um it is truly a, a privilege and an honor i just to even just to be in the presence of your voice, and we look so forward to bringing you to this area to the high schools in Vermont um to my little little farm spot school in burningston in um any other people um in the area who we just feel that could could benefit um from your expertise and really truly truly thank you and you know so much love to you and your beautiful family and joy and safety um just yes. wishing wishing that to you and your family
2: many blessings I, i'm uh, i'm grateful for the opportunity i'm uh grateful I take those words in um uh, and I hold them near to me, and I look forward to, to bringing a little taste of Baltimore and Cherry Hill community in particular to wherever you want me to to be. Um, I'm looking forward to it and in, uh, in due time, you know, touching the young people at the high school, being on the land, and just, you know, spending some time. So thank you all again for the opportunity to share and uh, and reflect. Thank you.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Thank you, everyone. You've been listening to Indigo Radio. That's it for today. Check out In the Company of Black Women. We aired their show on Indigo Radio. Thanks, everyone.